Amen. Well, God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you are enjoying tonight so far? If you're from Innovation or Open Door, welcome to Celebration. We are glad that you're here. Um, and for those of you that I haven't met, I'm Pastor Zach, and I just want to welcome you. We're excited. Heather and I have been here for four months, I think, and uh, so we're excited to be here. God's been moving. If you haven't heard, God's been moving here at Celebration in an incredible way, and uh, at least Leanne's excited about that. She just got her word, so she's excited about that. Everybody else will catch up a little later, but uh, God's been moving, doing some incredible things. Uh, we had water baptism this morning, and I think we baptized about eight or so folks, and uh, people are being healed and set free, delivered. It's awesome, so we're, we're excited about all that God's doing. We're excited to be here in the city, and uh, we're expecting God to continue to do some incredible things. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Exodus chapter 33, and uh, I have to confess, I'm probably going to be a little bit all over the place tonight, uh, just because I've been bubbling all afternoon about this service, and uh, in, in a Holy Ghost kind of way. And so I ended up printing off about three or four different sermons and said, God, he's moving all through them. So I may preach about two and a half messages tonight, which means we'll get out of here about midnight. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I might do that if you encourage me, I just might. But uh, anyway, Exodus chapter 33 is where we're going to start. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I feel like I'm echoing just a little bit up here. It might just be me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, if one of the things, if you don't know uh, Heather and I, one of the things that we are uh, all about is seeing God touch and transform this city. We want to see the presence of God transform the city, transform our church. We want to see people's lives set ablaze, set on fire for God. So we're going to take a look at that tonight in Exodus chapter 33. And starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Bugbites, and all of the other ones. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. Man, wouldn't you love God to say that about you? You are a stiff-necked people, and uh, my plan is to consume you. <laughs> Thanks, God. Appreciate that. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb, and Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the Tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the Tabernacle. Can you imagine this scene? Millions of Jews who are watching one man Moses go into the tabernacle and hoping that God would have mercy and spare, the, you know, 
If he goes in and God decides to strike him, well, you're out of a leader, your leader's gone, and that's probably a good indication you're gone as well. So they're all watching what happens with Moses to make sure he's good and comes out okay. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of the cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I might find grace in your sight. And consider this nation as your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, if your presence... And this is worth underlining or highlighting in your Bible or marking on your phone, whatever you do. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would make it alive and real to us tonight. God, that you would open our ears and our eyes to hear, to see. God, open our hearts to receive. And I thank you, Lord, for all that you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing that I want to take a look at here from Exodus 33 is the fact that God said, Moses, I can go with you. But if I go with you, I will consume you. I will, I will utterly destroy this people. And so instead, Moses, I'm going to send my angel in my place. You're going to have success. It's all going to go well. You're going to get into the promised land. But my presence will not go with you. If you, if you rewind the story just for a little bit and go back into the beginning portion of this story in Exodus 32, we know that the, the golden calf had just been made. Moses was up on the mountain, and he was receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord. He comes down the mountain, and here they are, are partying, they're in revelry. And Moses says, under unction of God's direction, he says, here's the line. If you're for God, stay on that side. If you're, come on this side. If you're, if you're against God... Stay on that side. And so the people divided. And Moses turned to the people that were with him and for God, and he said, draw your sword and go kill them. And they went out. 3,000 were murdered that day under the, under the direction of God. I would imagine that, that at this point, that, that slaughter of people is still fresh in their mind. They've just seen un, under God's direction, Moses and these people have just gone out and killed 3,000 who were partying, who were turned, had turned against God at the foot of the mountain. Here God is meeting with Moses at the top, giving them direction. And then, and then God says, go kill him. And so that's fresh in their mind. And here God says to Moses, you can go. You can go and, and enter the promised land. Everything that I've said, you can obtain. You can have success, Moses. But my presence isn't going. Man, how scary. How, I mean, more so than, than even, even the thought of the 3,000 that were just slain. How, how scary it must have been for Moses to hear from God. You'll have success. 
but my presence won't be there. And I would say to us tonight, as, as a church, collective church in, in the Akron area, and even for our region, we can have success. We can build great churches. We can plant churches. We can do all the right stuff. We can say all the right things. We can, we can have the greatest ministries, the greatest programs. We can have money coming in and going out and meeting the needs of our community. But if His presence doesn't go with us, what's the point? If His manifest presence isn't with us, what's the point of us doing it anyway? I, 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 don't, just, I don't want to just have success. I have to have His presence. And that's what Moses said. God, I, I don't care if I have success. What good is it going to do us to go in the promised land? What good is it going to do us to be in the place of promise and not even have your presence there with us? And so I want to encourage you tonight that, that maybe, just maybe, you might be tempted along the path of success. And, and, the, and the path of success is very bright in the day and age in which we live, even to have successful churches. And, oh, we don't want to offend anybody, and we don't want anybody to get, get uncomfortable in our church. But when the manifest presence of God comes into a room, it's uncomfortable. All of a sudden, the, the things that, that you've tried to hide in your life all of a sudden become exposed. You, you begin to realize, like Isaiah, oh my God, I'm standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And like it says in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, y'all tracking with me, y'all following. I saw the Lord, and what was Isaiah's response? I am a man of unclean lips. When, when God, the manifest presence of God, shows up in your church, it's a little uncomfortable. But is it better to have success or is it better to have the manifest presence of God? We need his touch. We need the presence of God in our church. I think about Judas. You know, here's a man that followed Jesus, saw the miracles, saw the signs and wonders, all of the great things that were happening. He was right in the middle of it. And all of the time, he was stealing money from the ministry. All the time was going to be the one that betrayed Jesus. You can be in the middle of, of a great church. You can be in the middle. You can, have, you can have the theory or idea or doctrine of spirit-filled ministry. You can have a doctrine of the presence of God. You can have an idea or theory about the things of God. But it doesn't affect how you live. Judas was a great example of that. He was in, he was in the mix. He was in the inner circle. He was, he was around Jesus. But it never affected how he lived. He never allowed uh, the, the presence of God to affect his life. It was all just watching everybody else. Trying to find the next religious leader. Trying to find a way he could pocket the money. Trying to figure out a way that Judas could build a successful political campaign. That's what they wanted. Someone to overtake the Roman Empire. And that's what Judas was all about. And he didn't get his way. And so he dealt with Jesus his own way. Psalms 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lord, let that be said of our church. 
if there is anything that I could say that, that I want to be known by is that I am the generation, this verse, Psalms 24, 6, that I am the generation, I am of those who seek Him, who seeks His face. It doesn't matter what other people say or what other people think. Man, it may get messy and it may look a little uh, undignified, but like David said, I'll become more undignified than this. This is only the beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and those of you from Celebration, I would say, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> we'll become more undignified than this. The second thought here from Exodus 33 is the necessity of his manifest presence for everybody. Here we were watching Moses go into the temple, but Jesus said, in Acts 1.8, you shall receive You shall receive when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be my witness. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist recognizes the ministry of, of Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Prophecy number one and prophecy number two was, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. That is the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The ministry of Jesus in this day, his heavenly ministry is that he is sitting and interceding for you and I. And he said in Luke 24, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And he said it again in Acts 1, don't leave the city until you receive the promise of the Father. That is the manifest pre presence of God. The Holy Ghost it is the manifest presence of God in our lives, that we can step in, as it were, behind the veil and, and come into the holy of holy, of holies with the Holy Spirit. Jumping back to the Acts 1-8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This word power, this power is not power within yourself. It's not power that you create. It's the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. And he says you shall be witnesses. It doesn't say you shall make a witness, you shall be a witness. When you are a witness, when you're, when you're a witness, you have observed, you have participated in, you have an experience of something that you can testify to. And so there's two things that we can find that we are witnesses of. One, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then we should be witnesses to the power of God that comes upon us in the Pentecostal experience of the baptism and the Holy Spirit. That we should, that you and I should live uh, as a witness to these two things. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses of salvation and witnesses of the supernatural experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul reminded Timothy, he said, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Sometimes we need to stir up the gift of God. How many of you know that, that flame, that fire starts to go out and we need to start laying hands on ourselves and speaking to ourselves and, and praying over ourselves and say, fire, it's time to stir it up. It's time to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Paul kept preaching. He said in, in Ephesians 5, he says, Don't be drunk on wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word be filled is be being 
filled. It's a continual action. That you and I should be continually filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Stir it up, Timothy. Stir it up, Timothy. It's not good enough that your family members were believers, Timothy. It's not good enough that, that your, your relatives had it, Timothy. You've got to stir it up yourself, Timothy. You've got you to stir it afresh in your own life. Timothy was facing Nero, had just come into power. And those of you who are familiar with Nero, he was um, impaling Christians and lighting them on fire in his, in his backyard. So needless to say, there was, there was a cause for some concern in Timothy's ministry. He could have been the next person up there in, 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 literally on fire, a, liter, a literal fire. But Paul said, in spite of all this, Timothy, don't let this get you off track. Timothy, don't get off track by the persecution. Man, we're living in a day where persecution's on the increase. We're going to see, I believe, even an American increase of persecution. They're hunting down Pastor sermons before long, you're going to have to come bail me out of jail for preaching against sin, and that's okay. <laughs> that we'll go and we'll rejoice in the middle of all things. But needless to say, per persecution is on the increase, sickness, disease, wars, rumors of wars, all of these things that Jesus spoke about are taking place. And in this day, there is one thing that you and I need it is the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in the middle of these days. Paul told Timothy, stir it up. Stir it up. The fire of God. The fire of God in our bellies is a, is a passion for God. Matthew chapter 3.11. I quoted it earlier. John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with the water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When the fire fell at Pentecost, needless to say, it was a little messy. Just a little bit. Matter of fact, everybody around thought they were drunk and intoxicated. They thought at 9 o'clock in the morning, these people are all messed up and drunk. And, and Peter had to stand up and say, these men are not drunk as you suppose. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I say that, God, we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost in our day. We need to experience the fresh passion of the fire of God in our bellies. Passion, I shared this a couple of weeks ago for those that were here. You know, we, we have disciplines as believers. Or, you know, we read the Bible, we, we pray, we tithe. All of these things be, become a structure or disciplines for our Christianity. They become the context, if you will, in which we encounter God. But it's not our passion. That's not, that's not putting our passion on display. We can do all the right things and not be passionate. You could be married to your wife and your passion went way out the door a long time ago. And, and God, by the Holy Ghost, we need to rekindle our passion. Amen. When someone walks into your home, they don't say, oh, I love the two-by-fours. Those are really great two-by-fours. Those are great. That's the structure that's keeping the house up. But what they see when they walk in the door is your passion on display. How do you maintain your home? What kind of pictures you have on the wall? What kind of decoration and things you have around the house? You see, it's the, it's the passion that Jesus said they'll know you by. They shall know you because you love one another. The passion that we have for others and the passion that we have for God is what, uh, is what the world sees around us. It's, it's what we put on display. When, when you're passionate about your spouse, no one has to tell you that you need to hug her and love on her or him. 
No one has to tell you that what, how to show and, and put on display your passion. You willingly put your passion on display because why? You're in love. We might have to offer marriage counseling, Anthony. <laughs> you and Francelle got time after church. We might need to do some marriage counseling. When, when, when you're in love... Hello? You, no one has to tell you to, to act a certain way with your spouse. It's the natural result of being in love. And so when you're in love with Jesus, nobody has to tell you, hey, you need to worship now. You should read your Bible. You should pray all these things. Why? Because it's your passion. It's the overflow. For, for far too long, listen to what I'm saying, for far too long we have tried to compel church people to do the right things with no anointing, with no presence, with no touch of God. And we wonder why they get burnt out, dried up, and crusty Christians. And the problem is you got pastors who are trying to get people to do things that isn't a passion of theirs. If we'd start with the passion of the Holy Ghost, we'd have the overflow of ministry. We got it reversed. <laughs> ministry is the overflow of the encounter you have with God. And so if your encounter with God, if, you're, if the presence of God in your life is minimal, then your passion for doing the things of heaven is going to be minimal. But man, when you fall in love, Timothy, stir it up. Timothy, stir up. Man, when I see God for who he is, again, one thing, whew, one thing, if I desire to that, will I seek after? Whoo, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Man, when I begin to see his beauty for myself, and some of you here, everything I'm saying might be going over your head. What are you talking about? Seeing the beauty of the Lord. That you can gaze upon. Man, if you just get in this book and say, Holy Ghost, you begin to make this alive to me. I don't want it to be just a ritual. I don't want it to just be the religious thing to do, but let it be a passion. Let it be burning in me. And you begin to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You begin to go through and Jesus begins to jump off the pages. The ministry of Christ begins to jump off the pages and it's no longer religious. It's, it's the word of God and the, and the person of Christ living in you. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. I remember we had a Back in New Orleans, we were doing a water baptism one time. I was thinking about it because we had water baptism this morning. And this little Vietnamese girl, a lady, I shouldn't say girl, she was a lady. She was in her 30s. Vietnamese, she's very, you know, and she's Vietnamese, so she was very uh, quiet and reserved and not very boisterous. And uh, she gets, and she's been wanting the baptism in the Holy Spirit. She wanted to experience God for herself. In a deeper way. She was born again. She just wanted more of God. She's very quiet. She gets in the baptis baptismal pool. And we had, a, we had a literal pool on stage. That's how we did baptismal. We had a pool. And we're in the pool. She goes under the water. And she comes up praying in tongues. And this, this girl who was quiet, reserved, all of a sudden became very, very passionate. She got touched by the fire of God. We had... Um, we had a, her husband actually, her husband was in one of my small groups, and we're praying in the small group, and as we're sitting there praying, and again, he's a very analytical person, he's a business owner, owns three or four businesses, very analytical, very systematic, he'd grown up in church, fallen away, came back, and he's sitting and he's observing all that's happening in this small group, and actually there was, it was actually a pretty tame small group, if if you've ever been around me, my small groups can get a little uh, spiritual fervency in them. 
And uh, our, uh, this one was pretty tame compared to the usual. And so he, he was observing, and all of a sudden, I'm just sitting in my chair. He's over here sitting in his chair, and I'm praying, and I'm worshiping. And all of a sudden, I hear this analytical, very systematic Vietnamese guy start laughing in the joy of the Lord, hysterical laughing. And I'm thinking, is he laughing at somebody? Because surely he's not experiencing supernatural joy because he's very analytical. <laughs> he would not, this not him. He would be analyzing everybody else laughing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're one of those analytical people that would, you would be watching everybody else in the room laugh and trying to figure it out. That was him. And I, he was laughing hysterically. And I thought, and, I look, and he starts carrying on, praying in tongues. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, this guy, who's very analytical, for two weeks. Now, remember, this guy's a business owner. For two weeks, he said he felt like God put a helmet on his head. And he couldn't think clearly for two weeks. It was like for two weeks, his mind was on off mode. And he was living spiritually aware. It was like everything spiritually became alive and aware to him. And everything analytical turned off. He said, I've been asking God to turn off my analytical brain. I, I guess I got what I asked for. <laughs> I said, well, you should be careful about that. And so the passion of God, the passion of God comes through the Holy Ghost. Again, the fire of God brings, fire, the fire of God brings ministry. It's the overflow. Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses. No one has to make you into that. I said earlier, you will be a witness because of what you've experienced. Think back to the, the lame man. If you go to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, we find the story of the lame man. And Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer at the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's room, was carried and laid daily at the gate. Here comes Peter and John on the way to prayer. He's asking for alms. Peter and John look at him and say, look at us. Silver and gold we don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. When's the last time that you, you operated and lived in such a way that you were willing, even on, on the spur of a moment, Walking about, going about your normal life, seeing someone along the way that maybe is hurting, maybe broken, and say, I don't, I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Jesus said that in Matthew that we were to go and preach as you go and lay hands, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast, cast out devils, heal the lepers, all of these things. Is that operating in your life? When's the last time you raised a dead person? Now, I'm not asking you to go out and try to raise somebody up at the next cemetery over. <laughs> but, but the reality is that we ought to be flowing in supernatural power for ministry. Jim Elliott said, God, I pray that thee that you light these idle sticks of my life, that I might burn for thee. Consume my life, O God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. And then the other thing we see from Exodus... In Exodus 33, they've gone with the presence of God. Moses said, God, we've got to go with your presence. We don't want success. God says, I'll send my presence. But it took Moses to get desperate. It took Moses to be hungry for something more than he already had. Moses could have been content with the angel. But Moses began to plead with God, God, it's not enough. 
God, I've got to have your presence. What's going to set us apart from the other nations? God, what's going to make us any different? We can have success, but what's going to make us any different? God, I'm desperate for you. And I want to ask you tonight, where's your desperation level at? Are you desperate for the things of God? Well, I'm at church on Sunday night. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Is there a hunger? Hunger is a gift. Is there, is there a hunger in your heart and a desperation for more of God? One of the things we've been accused of, I guess, since we've been here, is that we make people uncomfortable. <laughs> and that, that's my job. In case, in case you didn't know, that's my job as a pastor, is to make you uncomfortable. My job is to challenge you and encourage you to get out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. Who wants to stay in the boat anyway? Luke chapter 18, we find the story of someone who was desperate. It's the blind man. Verse 35, it says, Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, that Jesus was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Grace, why don't you all come up? That it happened as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told the blind man, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And the blind man cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. I love that. That's always a great, you know, that's always the religious folks. Shh, keep it quiet. Shouldn't, you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be so noisy. You shouldn't be so loud. You know, Jesus might be disturbed by your desperation. So be quiet. And he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Wow, we're having like an exodus up here. <laughs> Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I just want to pause right there. When you have Jesus, the Son of God, standing right in front of you saying, what can I do for you? That, you know, a million dollars would be great, Jesus. Um, you know, I really could use a new house. I mean, I could think of a whole lot of things that I'd want from Jesus. I, I've been blind my whole life, Jesus. I can deal with the blindness a little longer. But, but you know, you could provide some things. You could do some things. No. He said, Lord, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him. And followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Desperation. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm blind. Not everybody is comfortable with desperation. Not everybody will appreciate your need for God. You, you should be dignified in church. and shouldn't, It shouldn't get, ever get messy or uncontrolled. And, 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 you know, you should never... Listen. I love, I love people when, when people say, you know, we just got to have more control in church. I, and I'm all for control, but, but who sets the balance on control? Who, who sets the medium there? Is, is that us setting the, the medium or is God setting it? Well, 1 Corinthians, and you know, you, everybody always comes back with 1 Corinthians. You know, you, it should be done in order and blah, 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 blah. 
The reason that that teaching even had to be said was because they were so far on the other side. They were so far uh, excited and, and, and enjoying the things of God and the, and the gifts of God. It, Paul wasn't trying to squelch what was happening. He was trying to give them some order so that it could happen and people could be ministered to more freely. It was, it was structured so that people could receive more freely what was happening. It wasn't trying to squelch it or control it in our way of thinking. So desperation says, God, I'm hungry. And it doesn't matter who's in my way or what people think or who's around me. I'm getting more of Jesus. And if you don't want yours, I'll take yours too. God, I want all that you have for me. I want all that God has for me. You know, we've, Heather and I have experienced so much. We've seen God do so many incredible things. We've, we've lived, I mean, we lived in Sin City and saw God do incredible things. People, I mean, just stories. We could tell stories all night long. But it's not enough. I'm not satisfied. God, I want more. What, what would cause us totally comfortable in New Orleans, loving God and ministry in New Orleans? What would cause us to say, okay, we're going to move and trust God. God, we're desperate for more. God, we're desperate for more. I'll close with this thought. My first closing, in case anybody was tracking. When we met with the board, there, there's a famous line that stands out to me in the whole interview process and us coming here. And it'll probably stick with me for the rest of my life. One of the questions we asked the board when we, and those of you in the room who were on the selection committee can attest to this. One of the questions we said, every, we kept being told, we want a New Testament church. We want a Pentecostal church. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. And so our question back to that was, do you really? Is that really what you want? And we got some weird looks. <laughs> well, yeah, we just told you that. Well, what do you mean by that? And so we began to share, well, what happens when, when the 16 or 17-year-old girl gets baptized with the Holy Ghost and the cute little family in the church that everybody thought was the great little cute family now becomes turned upside down because their daughter is passionately in love with Jesus and doesn't care who knows about it. So not really in order anymore, and they leave the church because that's uncomfortable. What happens when you have demons walking down the middle aisle and you're casting out devils in service? What happens when, when people get excited about God and begin to dance and shout and rejoice in church? What happens? And we begin to walk through some of these examples. And, and the, the phrase that stands out to me that, like I said, I'll never forget, is someone said, I'm tired of safe church. We've had safe church for far too long. We need, if that means we got to teach people and disciple people and, and help walk them through what it looks like, and so be it. But we can't have safe church anymore. And when I heard that, that I, you know, I started, I cried probably for 20 minutes. I mean, I, I was, I was, help, I was hopeless at that point because somebody put their hunger on display. Somebody touched the heart of God with their hunger. And when they touched the heart of God with that hunger, God pricked my heart and said, this is where you're going to be. That's all it took. We <laughs> signed the papers. We're good at that point. Closing number two. Talking about passion. 
talking about passion, getting desperate. We had a, in New Orleans, we had this, I was, this is so funny that I even thought about this earlier because this is totally random. So maybe somebody in here is facing something similar. I don't know. But it, we had this baby, this family in New Orleans. It was a, it was a rough situation, very rough situation. And the baby had cystic fibrosis. And how, how old was the very young, two weeks old. I mean, we're talking very young baby, cystic fibrosis. Had to go for breathing treatments. And how many of you know as mothers, you'd be a little desperate for your child to get healed. And I remember it was nothing special. It was just a normal service. It was a normal Sunday night service. Sunday, oh, Sunday morning, the dedication. That's what it was. Normal, normal baby dedication. Right? There's no such thing. When the fire of God starts falling, there's no such thing. That baby was just baby dedication. We didn't pray for healing. There's nothing. Went to the doctor the next day and I said, We don't understand this. This baby doesn't need breathing treatments anymore. The cystic fibrosis is gone. She's completely whole. Just said a baby dedication. So, Talking about passion, desperation. Why don't you stand with me? What's the point of all this? What's the point of being desperate? What's the point of receiving the manifest presence of God? Two things. To be passionate about your king and allow it to overflow and be a witness. We try to separate. A lot of times we try to separate and say, well, we got to be passionate, but it's, well, you know, we're not passionate to put it on display. Well, that's baloney. Everybody, if anybody ever tells you we don't have power or passion so that we can flex or put it on display, that's baloney. I'm not, no, I don't go around trying to put my passion on display. It's the natural result of being in love. I don't, I don't have to flex my arms or try to be prideful in my display of affection. It's just the natural result of being passionate. But there is, the other, there is the other element of that, and that is it's got to go out and overflow. If God's doing something in here, it needs to overflow out there. If God's doing something in me, it needs to overflow. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would stir up a holy desperation in our lives tonight. God, I pray for a fresh touch from heaven tonight, Lord. Lord, I sense a hunger Stirring, I sense, Father, a, a hunger and a passion stirring up in your people tonight. Lord, let it increase. Let it increase in this place, in my life, let it increase. Let, let a hunger and desperation increase in my life, Lord. I don't want yesterday's manna, I need fresh. God, I don't, I don't want the angel, I need your presence. God, I'm not satisfied with just following you and being a disciple I want the baptism the fullness of the spirit just as the disciples had to wait in Jerusalem before they went out they'd been disciples even so God I want more I want everything you've got for me whatever it looks like whatever it sounds like whatever it whatever I just have to have you Lord thank you Jesus